Hello and welcome to the Shift on Purpose podcast. My name is Paul Bryan, entrepreneur, mentor, and mindset coach. And together with my co-host, Mr. Peter Doyle, registered psychologist and leadership and executive coach, we explored how to live an inspired life of more joy, fulfillment, peace of mind, and well-being. As always, our goal is to inspire, empower, and nurture the human spirit. So please sit back, relax, and take in this episode of Shift on Purpose. This intention and purpose is pure gold, and I really, really desire to pursue it. But there's a million negative status quo patterned, conditioned ways of thinking that bring you back to, oh my God, what if this, maybe this, am I really good enough? Who do I think I am? What would they say? Blah, 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 blah. And leaping past that is where all the magic happens, I think, Paul. Mm. What's your sense of it? Yeah, I guess the term is imposter syndrome. And why do we feel like a fraud? And why do we second-guess ourselves when the instinctive, intuitive, reflected voice in the carriage reminds us, this lights me up, this gives me a sense of joy, this will do more good in the world, it It'll generate abundance in all levels and in all meaning of, of that word. However, can I really pull this off? However, what if XYZ goes wrong? However, I don't know how to do the operational steps. However, everybody else knows more than I and they're already ahead of me. Whatever. Mm. Uh it's it's huge. It's huge. I want to ask you personally about that because you you made this step into psychology, oh, practicing as a psychologist. Yeah, you've come from university, graduated with honors. Was it? Yes. Yeah. So Thank you, you. Yeah. Yeah. So from was- a from a uh, academic point of view, did everything right, ticked all the boxes. Yeah. What was your transition into your role? Where did you go? How did you go from university into a practicing psychologist? Interestingly enough, my psychology early professional career accreditation and success ladder fell fell into place through reverse feedback. <clears throat> so, so certain conversations and examples over a five, six, seven, eight year period as a, a junior developing fledgling psychologist, a wannabe psychologist. <laughs> Um, eventually influenced me to a point where I leapt, leapt out of uh, the academic version of psychology al- almost completely. And, and so, so I'll share it with you this way, if I may. I always had this burning desire to learn what motivates and inspires and develops people and amplifies their potential. I, I, I had it all my life. I had it in, in, in my early um employment roles you know I was, I was a junior sales rep and, and I just wanted to give more and encourage more and achieve more through people how, how do I get to relate to a diverse range of people how do I understand what would motivate and support and enhance them and and by implication create win-win for me for them for for my employers for for whoever's involved in the, the human condition together with us so I went back into psychology 
uh, as a 23-year-old um, mature age student in those days and was so excited because I wanted to learn all these positive motivational skills and I wanted to have dialogue, com conversations with, with uh, colleagues in, in lectures, students in, in other subjects, all the different areas we came from and bounce ideas around and debate and learn and challenge and broaden, broaden their range of thinking. But in the hierarchical world of psychology, whilst I really respect, I, I had some very gifted and um, genuine, authentic uh, lecturers, the model of the profession basically said to me, uh, Peter, <coughs> you're not entitled to voice, to, to voice an opinion that will be taken seriously until you get your formal qualifications. And once, once you graduate in those days, it was, it was a four-year under, undergrad degree, uh, then you can speak more authoritatively and make a positive difference and um, then you'll be really significant and worthy of making a contribution. Mm. So I did jump through the hoops, played the game, blah, 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 got the, got the four-year degree. How old are you at this point? Um, late 20, uh, mid-20, about 25 yeah. years of age. And so if you look at it, life, life experiences. Yeah. You still lower half? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, excitement I had when I, when I kind of first uh, got my credentials still stayed with me because I, I had learned a lot of material. But uh, the next message I got from my peers, the, 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 the next level of um, leadership in the psychology profession was, well, that's nice you've achieved that, young fella, but... Um, you can't really be substantial and taken seriously until you've uh, written your, your honours thesis. So that, that's a, another year of good work and, and you've qualified and shown you've got the ability to do it. So why don't you just knuckle down and uh, write that honours thesis for another 12 months and when that's submitted and, and, and uh, graded and approved, then you'll have the status and the positional authority to comment, make a contribution and be serious contributor to the psychology profession. <laughs> so so I, I, I did. I, 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 I doubled down again you know an yeah. an another year of well i'll i'll get this this honors um accolade as well and uh, you know i really love the the research and the um concepts i wrote about wrote wrote you know a reasonably substantial thesis at the end of it all put my heart and soul into it and so then i was ready for okay now now i'm uh, the doors of the profession will open to me but uh, a couple of years i was then working um full-time with with my honors degree in in its hot shiny uh, a case of um, acknowledgement, and um, you know, get so I was getting paid to help people in my um, nominal title role as psychologist. A couple of different industries. I went and worked in London in a um, interesting um, twelve months uh, placement over there, which was fa fantastic. Uh, diverse range of learning and knowledge. And so, but, but at this point, you've got you've got an in. You're getting paid. Yep. Did you have doubts then? Because you, your life experiences are still so low. Yeah. And you're helping people on their path to a better life. Yes. Did you doubt that that was something that you should be doing at such a young age? Or how did you feel about it? Or did you feel like that the, the backing of that degree with the honours gave you the confidence? Or did you still doubt yourself? It, it gave me the confidence and, and I worked authentically at the best level, I, the, the highest level of what I knew at the time, I, I openly shared and um, coll collaboratively worked with clients and um, pe people in the psychology field that I, I was engaging in because I had different roles. 
but those four to six, six, 12, 24 month periods. Um, but I was fully respectful that there were many of my clients who, who knew more than I, who had um, a far more diverse range of life experiences than me. And so, so, so it, what kept me going and able to maintain my confidence was I never pretended to be the expert. It was always mm. um, an interactive discussion where I would share my best understanding for people's consideration and respectfully and attentively listen to their perspectives and see what we could in integrate together. And um, one, one of the, the things that really woke me up about this, when, we, when will you be finally good enough? When will you be uh, able to step deeper into your own power? When, after that wonderful 12 months working in London, I got back to Australia, worked for a couple of years as a psychologist in the public sector, and still kept hearing shades of um, keep keep serving your time, keep um, publishing articles, keep um, upskilling because then you'll be really good enough at this magical next level. And and that turned into um, by the time I'm nearly uh, late twenties, Peter, you should now proceed and get your PhD. So so I even bought into that one. I, I yeah. still bought the myth of oh, I, okay. Once I've formally uh, submitted my PhD thesis and um, become Dr. Peter, do Dr. Peter Doyle, that must be the pinnacle of I can truly say, do and contribute at the level where uh, I can make a difference and people will uh, res respect that I'm, that I'm the real deal. And so I, got, uh, I, I actually went in and became a salaried academic lecturer in a university. And as I lectured in the field of applied social and business psychology, I was writing my own PhD on... Um, a very interesting area about stereotyping and uh, leadership practice. And so the penny finally dropped because as I was getting more and more progress and, and you know, starting to think about su submitting aspects of the PhD and, and eventually, wow, I'll, you know, I'll be probably early, ne nearly 30 by now and I'll finally be Dr. Peter Doyle. PhD must mean I've finally reached the, the uh, appropriate status in my industry. I started hearing. I still hadn't submitted. Hadn't, I hadn't completed the PhD. I started hearing stories from from senior academics. Well, Peter, you know that's just a starting point because really, un until you get your first NHMRC grant, which is a National Health and Medical Research Council funding group, uh, and an, until you've published at that level of, of academic status, you're not really going to be taken too seriously. So, so finally, I just voted with my feet and, and I filed. Uh, the, the, the file drawer shut with all, all the manuscripts and half-completed PhD research. <laughs> I respectfully um, tabled my resignation from the from the university. They all thought I was mad. You know, why would you walk away from a illustrious, wonderful, uh, well-paid academic career? And my answer was, because it's a three-card trick. I'll, I'll, I'm always going to hear, uh, just get this next qualification, this next tick, this next accolade, this next ac uh, acclamation from some external authorizing authority and then you can really say and do what you want and i said oh i'll just have a crack and create a positive psychology firm the, the thing we've referenced once or twice the guideline uh business uh and 28 years on from so i walked out at, the, at the, you know 30 something years of age resigned this salaried secure job and really did appreciate um, i had a good life as a university lecturer but basically um did not complete the phd uh started with virtually nothing uh, as, a, as a very small private consulting psychologist, backed my own ability, Paul, and that was the biggest shift. When I finally went, 
Yes, I'm committed to lifelong learning. Yes, I'll always keep wanting to to become the next higher higher version of myself. There's no arrogance that I I will ever be an expert at, at an, an elite master of anything. I'll be a constant student of life and learning and well-being. But I finally understood I don't need an external third party's approval to walk my path and speak my truth. Mm-hmm. I, I I need to humbly acknowledge there's lots of things I don't know and the things that I do know, let's say it with resonant truth, and see who wants to unite and create stuff together. And that's that was the key to my workplace and um, professional success. Yeah. So b- before that, you're looking for permission. Yeah. And you're looking for the next body, the next higher body to give you that permission. Yes. And at some point you said, no, I'm going to do that for myself. Correct. Because what I learned, it never ends. There'll always be someone in... So uh, that, that, but that was a point of frustration. Yes. So what was the narrative there for you? Was it, I get to start my own thing, I get to say and do it how I want? Yes. Or, yeah. Absolutely. And I was scared, you know. So I had a little um, epiphany when uh, my, you know, the, the head of school and the dean, so the head of the applied psychology uh, department and the dean of the faculty that we were in, it was a faculty of business and management and the school of applied psychology was attached to it. Um, gave me some fatherly advice. You know, P- Peter, you're 30 years of age. Do you really want to resign this salaried academic role? Um, do you understand how reckless and foolish it is that um, you're the main breadwinner for a family and you've got um, a little two-year-old daughter and a, a one-year-old son and um, you really should reconsider this going out on your own stuff? <laughs> mm. uh, and despite the well-meaning intention of they thought they were looking after my um, best interests, it came across as patriarchal and patronising and a very limited hierarchical model of uh, authority control. Mm. So I just doubled down and said, uh, I'm just going to back my own ability. I think I'm good enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm. you for your well wishes. That's, that's when you make the leap of faith. Yeah. Because Despite the fear. Because of the fear. Yeah. When, when, when so, it, it often so in, what was the fear there? Well, in process psychology, we call it working on the on your edge. My, my fear was these gentlemen could be right. They're twenty, uh, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years more senior than me. They both hold professorships, which is yeah. layers up the hierarchical ladder. So, so apparently, when you're a professor, maybe you can say do and say what you really want. But the, the reality is, you can't. Not not in um, institutionalized academia. The politics are pretty fierce, and the the funding's fierce. So so. I, I, now I have a lot of empathy and com- compassion for the limitations that were on the, on those guys, but if can you just repeat the the key question? What 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 am I? What are you asking me to articulate? How, how did I move past the fear, or what was causing the fear? Yes, yeah, so you you decided to move on despite the fear, yeah. and you said because of the fear. Yes, and so I asked you to define the fear in that case because that's where your edge is, Paul. When 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 you're excited about a new possibility. And and that inner inner calling, the voice in the carriage, that uh, gut and intuitive, heartfelt knowing that that I'd love to pull this off and, and I'm ready to have a crack. When that is coupled with the fear, you know you're on the edge of a breakthrough. Mm. Because if you didn't have the fear, you wouldn't be motivated to find a way. Mm. And you know that beautiful saying in all grand endeavours, when the reason is strong enough, you'll find a way. So I was hungry, and I knew that if I didn't have the commitment to see this through, uh, my little children would struggle to have food and 
um, shelter and uh, clothing, and and that that was a serious risk I was willing to take. I w- I would be good enough to find a way to provide for them no matter what, and ideally that way would be through the growth of a high level positive psychology and coaching model. And and in fact, I didn't really have a coaching model back then. <laughs> it was use my highest skills that I developed as a psychologist to develop growth-oriented, aspirational, motivated clients. Yeah. What, what year was this? Wow, 1994. So 1994, topics like mental health weren't mainstream. They no. weren't discussed by, by government probably Correct. at all. And, and, and I did a lot of door knocking and a lot of, um, c- can I give a free seminar? Can I tell you about the benefits of our tools and strategies? Can I share with you uh, over a breakfast meeting how and why I think the services I'm offering are of value. I, I had to go and create a market. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot lately about how how important freedom is and the, the right to express yourself as an individual and how given our interests, we tend to fall into these tribes and these tribes tend to have a level of control whether we recognise it or not. Yes. So even though we're expressing our individual uh, desire, so it could be skateboarding, just to give it simply. Yeah. I'm becoming a skateboarder. I want to spend more time at the skate park. Naturally, you'll fit into that stereotype more and more as time goes on. You're going to be work cl- wearing clothes yeah, similar to them. You're going to be saying vocabulary similar to them. Yes, you step into that identity. You step into the tribe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at some point, the fear of that tribe is going to instill what you can and can't do. So, yes. so even though you thought you were acting as an individual by taking a step into, say, a new um, creative pursuit, the tribe will only let you do so much. The tribe doesn't really want you to be an individual a lot of the time. Yes. The tribe wants you to be a member of that tribe. Yeah, yeah. Be the best exemplar of our core attributes and intrinsic assumptions. Yeah. And, and, and in a previous podcast, we were calling that when you start to embody it. You start to embody the new pattern of that identity and then you forget that you chose it. It just becomes my new default go-to. Yeah. And, and, and so back in that psychology world, I chose not to embody the academic myths and models. The, the, I'm, not, I'm not saying I rejected the research and the knowledge base. I'm, I'm saying the culture of go up through the hierarchy, keep getting accreditation, and then you can say and be who you need to be. I, I decided that was a myth that I wasn't willing to walk that path. Mm. But once I became, um, you know, a freelance, entrepreneurial, independent, uh, small business owner in a psychology firm, the culture of that started to subconsciously change me, meaning I started to, uh, a couple of years in, take on projects that weren't my core passion, but we need this revenue to pay the bills. And, oh, that's what other people are saying is is the... Um, best way to uh, gain a profile as a psychologist, so I best uh, genuflect to their wisdom and start to do the stuff that they say I, I need to do. So, and, then, and then registration boards and whole lots of other um, accreditation authorities started insisting on certain ways of presenting our, um, our work. And not, sorry, not me personally, just the industry. The industry yeah. And I, so by now I'm 40, right, and, and, and the business has grown. I stopped being that creative, independent maverick carving his own path with a small team 
and started to become more like a, a mid-level CEO operationally conforming to systems and processes and procedures. And, you know, I'm really pleased to talk to you about it because ultimately over a five to seven, five to seven year period of allowing that to happen, allowing it because I was not consciously aware I was conforming to the norms and, and being um, enculturated into a, a, a subconscious pattern almost, uh, I, I started to lose some of my spirit and, and, and it, it was very important in my late 40s that I started to wake up and recalibrate and speak to a more diverse group of people than what I was seeing in my business and mm. psychology world, yeah? Mm. And that's that's where the shift always comes from. So there was some unsettled things going on for me where the inner voice was saying, this isn't right, you know, you, you're churning over lots of um, revenue and projects and clients and staff and all, you know, it's th- the business of psychology and, and the work you're doing is bubbling along reasonably well, but what's happening to your internal spirit, Peter? What's happening to the deepest things that used to touch, move and inspire you? And I was starting to conform to the identity that I'd created and no longer pushing the boundaries and the edges of what's next, what's the... Helen Keller said it beautifully. For people like me, and, I, and and sometimes I think it's probably true for every human being, but, but I'd respect each person who work out their own path. But for people like me, life is either a glorious adventure or it's nothing at all. Mm. And, and, so, and in certain parts of my um, decades of career in, in, in the psychology profession, I'd stopped living the glorious adventure. Mm. And, and, and so I needed to get back to it. And I the glorious think, adventure yeah. is a risk. You, you don't know what will happen. <laughs> as you jump into that stream, but yeah. but but you back your own ability to navigate through it and yeah. find people to to align with and collaborate with, and people are the key. Find the right people find, who yeah. resonate with you, and they will find you, Paul. As you know, when your energy and vibration is uh, at a positive, growth-oriented, nurturing, trusting, loving kindness perspective, people like that will find you and co-create with you. Yeah, you have to. You just have to make yourself available for that. Yeah, yeah, and and. Be willing to stumble. Be willing yeah. to feel the fear and take the action anyway. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting journey. I think because it, it hits a number of points. You're expecting to get to a level where everything is okay. Yes. Not recognizing that, uh, and you and you hear it said as the the goalpost moved. Yeah. And I, I was shocked that the goal goalpost suddenly moved on me. Yeah. But in reality, that was happening gradually, but you're failing to see it yeah. because you would assume that you'd hit that point. Yes, and, and, and see, that myth is so prevalent in every aspect of our life. So, so, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago, I was sharing the myth of keep going up the accreditation ladder, you know, degree, uh, first-class honours, whatever, PhD, um, Significant research funding grants, blah 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 blah. One day become a professor, and then then you've reached the then you'll be happy. <laughs> Other people will, will have, well, when I when I buy my first home, then I'll be happy. Or hang on a minute, no, I just need the the the, the dream mansion home, then I'll be happy. Or hang on a minute, it, it's when I'm married with with uh, a secure family home and and uh, three lovely kids, then I'll be happy. Oh, hang on a minute, it's when I've got the booming business and lots of um, recreational toys and. Uh, holidays internationally then i'll be happy mm. the, the myth never sh- that can it will never be completed that way well it's deferred happiness it, yeah and, mm. it, and it's someone else's happiness it's it's a story a uh 
an inferred process rather than a lived reality of your own. Mm. The saying I like to, to, to fall back on is happiness is a choice. Yeah, and an inside job. Yeah. And that you, uh, even if I'm not liking this part of my process or my journey, I can still be happy. Yes. And uh, yes, the, the difference is rather than saying this is happening to me or I have to do this, is I get to do this. Yeah. I get that I'm choosing this path. I get to do it. Yes. Right? Yes. Would you prefer that this was happening differently? Yes, but this is what you've got and this is what you've chosen and you are that path out of it. Yes. And would, you, would you rather a level of happiness and support in yourself yes. at that point? Yeah. Or would you rather defer that and say, well, when this project gets finished and, you know, the voodoo goes away, I'll be happy then. And, and I'm really excited to hear you talk about that because for me that's embedded in a bigger umbrella concept. Again, probably a spiritual concept more than anything else, which is uh, what, what we might sometimes label as negative events and fears and failures and vulnerabilities and um, setbacks, you know, run, run into the brick wall of disaster, right? The shift becomes instead of why is the universe doing this to me, how can I be grateful and appreciative and what are the lessons learned because the universe is doing this for me? Mm. And that's really powerful. Yeah, the shift for me around that was having a bad experience and then recognizing that the universe doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. So this is happening for a reason. Uh huh. I may have to see the deeper meaning in that. But in the meantime, just trust that there's a positive to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do it with enormous empathy, compassion, and loving kindness for yourself. Mm. When, when you're wounded, and the school of hard knocks has banged you down yet again, as it's done for me and you and every worthwhile person I know. We have to have a period of rest and recovery and recalibration. And yes, it's true. You know, we get knocked over a hundred times. We choose to get up a hundred and one times. But that's not the same as saying, "I bounce back like a jack in the box springboard." Look at mm, me! Look at me! It's yeah. all good. Yeah. There's pain. There's grief. There's mourning. There's lessons learned, there's integration, there's forgiveness of self and others, and then it's all done in that concept of loving kindness, nurturing you, nurturing your spirit. Yeah. And then through often grace and strength of will and universal blessing, the next op op opening of possibility becomes apparent because you've gone through that period of turmoil and distress. Yeah, and I think you said it before, and in, in, in rather than running from that fear, you ran to that fear. Yes. Like, and I think that's the same with pain and trauma. You can run from it and, and try and largely ignore it, or you can run to it to sort that problem out Yeah, and, so you can move on. And isn't it beautiful, Paul, when you run to it and, and um, some, sometimes get help and resources at the same time to sort that problem out, a person will often come to a profound realization as as difficult, uh, tumultuous, and heartbreaking as this catastrophe might be a personal crisis, a health issue, a financial issue, a, uh, a world tragedy, even. For, for me, with my breakthrough new perspective, that person might say something like, The only way out of this pain is to go through it. Mm. And when they do that, all manner of resource and possibility will 
start to come to them because that's a powerful energetic mindset shift. Mm. I'm going to go through this pain because that's the only way to come out of it, to go through it. Yeah, through, and it goes through. back to that's happening for a reason. Yes. Yeah. The obstacle is in your life for a reason, so yes. don't ignore it. Yes. That's where your growth is going to come from. Yep, that's the edge. Yeah. The, the edge is that limit of possibility that I'm reaching for and because I'm not yet, that there yet, I'm scared and frightened of jumping over that gap. Yeah. Yeah. I want to bring it back to the tribe too, um, the fear that you had, the decision you had to make in changing the directory of your career moving out of academia into private practice and it brought up uh, it just brought up in my head this jay-z quote when he was interviewed he said he had a lot of people tell him he couldn't do things yes you can't do that and he said no no they're your fears correct they're not my fears don't you put your fears on me yes 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 and i thought that was interesting when i brought it back to the the, the tribe has these fears of set, setting up this group of rules because they're fearful of what might happen, hence they not be there. Yeah. But they're narrowing their worldview. Yeah. You know, you're narrowing into yourself and not looking at a greater picture. You need, as I think too, when people talk about a one, like I want to live a wonderful life, a wonder-filled life. Yes. You need wonder in your life and you need to seek wonder out. And a lot of that is that we make our world too small. Yes. If we're going through day-to-day doing the same thing, Let's just forget that we're expecting a different outcome, but most of us are, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing the same thing. Even if you think you're achieving there and you are achieving, you're climbing that ladder, if your world is small and you're keeping it small, you have no idea of your true potential because yeah. you're not looking anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's why, you know, for you and I and, and others on similar journeys that, that would align with what we talk about, we always look to hang with people who are doing something we haven't grown into yet. We, we want to hang with people who are challenging us for our next level and then we start to model and bridge the gap by being with them, mm-hmm. yeah? And um, interesting, you know, I, I reflected earlier in our conversation on my shelved PhD, which I never completed, and I said it was about stereotyping and leadership. It was embedded in a bigger theoretical um, concept that's, that's exactly what we're talking about now, the social construction of reality, meaning... Uh, the only way a human can know the limits of the, the allegedly possible is to choose to push beyond them into the allegedly impossible and then see mm. where those boundaries are. And and we all socially construct reality. Our peer group, the, the types of media we listen to, the things we read, will socially construct what the paradigm reality view currently is. Yeah. Science is even a social construction, a, a peer-based review that agrees on the parameters of what's currently acceptable knowledge. Yeah. And I want to touch on that and bring it right back because you had a body of people telling you this. Yes. So so when when people say, well, they told me I couldn't do this, you actually had a group of people that told you that. Correct. I think in my journey, I, I never had that. No one told me I couldn't do something. <sighs> That's I, I nice. Never, but I never went to university. <laughs> and uh, and you I, just, you I was an entrepreneur from an early age. But, but I, had, I had the worst kind in that I created a narrative of a social construct that told me I couldn't. In your own head, you didn't think you were good enough. Yeah, I, had, I was 19, 19, 20, starting my own business, bought my, my, my first house at the same time, which was a horrible decision to try and manage those two things. But young, ambitious guy, found some early success, decided to grab it by both hands and go for it. 
And yet, I, I thought in my head I was too young. Yeah. Not because I thought I was too young, but because I had put this narrative out there that the, the people I was talking to would think I was too young. Yep. So, no one said it to me. No one said, I went, I went along to uh, pitch clients on projects and won them all and uh, had some great, wonderful big clients. Everything was going great. But inside my head, you're too young. You need to reach this point. There will be a point where this gets easier or better. Or That was all in my head. Yeah. And so, I often, I often laugh when, when people say, well, oh, they told me I couldn't do it. And I said, well, who told you that? Because a lot of the time that was just me, the social construct. I was saying, you know, the societal standard is that I can't do this was me. Yeah. I was the only barrier to that. Yeah. No one physically came and told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. And isn't it also interesting how you created uh, a mental construct, like an abstract, unreal perspective, which could be undone if you asked yourself the question, compared to what? You know, I'm too young compared to what? Mm. I'm not good enough compared to what? And and so how did you reframe it? Because you you kept going and you you succeeded in multiple areas, right? So you recognised the limiting belief and somehow shifted out of it. Yeah, it took me a while. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while. Uh, the the difference was when I realised, uh, and we've spoken about before about opening up that that heart chakra and letting that love in and operating from a, a perspective of love. Because if you love what you do and you're focused on what you are doing, you know that you're backed by this uh, personal growth, this continuous personal growth, and you're doing the right things there, then you're going to love the moments. Correct. Correct. And so you're less about what any external pressure there might be, whether it be real or imagined, narrative or truth, and you're more in what am I doing today? Yeah. And this innate knowing whether you're going to be right or wrong. And ultimately, I think you go through, this is why you said it before about fear of failure, but failure is so important because it teaches you that uh, it recalibrates your level of risk. Correct. You'll take more risk, I think, when you've gone through a number of failures and you learn to bounce back and you know there is a bounce back. If you haven't had a failure before, you tend to, hold it in higher regard. (laughs) If I hit one failure, I could quit. And that's why a lot of people start up hobbies or new businesses or change their career and they they stop because they hit the first failure point. I think when you go through three or four of them and you know, oh, I'm going to bounce back from this, that you're, you really recalibrate that level of risk. Yes. And you say, well, I'm just going to get on regardless. And and what you've also identified is you are uh, using a powerful motivational drive, which is clarity of intention and purpose. And because you do connect to loving kindness and, and you know, that, that heart-centered way of knowing, the types of things you would do and commit to to add value for yourself and others, you would probably do them for whether there's a formal revenue stream immediately available or not. And then you'd back your ability to find a way to to put the resources together to hold 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 that momentum, and and so so that can sound quite vague to people sometimes. And, and so I, I often use um, keynote phrases, you know, like so in a in a workplace business setting, 
lots of organizations will work hard to come up with um, mission statements, vision statements, um, value-based propositions. And so, so, so do you, to, to apply it to my 28-year psychology journey with Guidelight, I was always crucially aware, even in my darkest days when, when um, I, you know, I didn't know how a project would end up or would we win this work or would, would um, the overheads, uh, would the revenue justify the overheads if we expand in certain areas, blah, 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 blah. Um, I never lost sight of my deep intention and purpose. And, and, and to, to give people a concrete example of what that looked like in a, a lived everyday turn up to work sense, every day I would turn up in, in whatever office or project um, training room or wherever we, we were doing some, some service delivery with, with people, our clients. Um, I was so grateful and appreciative that whatever transpired in the day or the week, I was still getting comparatively well paid to help people. That, that was a fundamental tenant. And, and then as I grew a little bit further beyond that traditional psychology model and, and, and the coaching work you and I do now, uh, I, I'm just so excited every day that at some level our role is to nurture the human spirit and and that's a, that's what I mean by intention and purpose. It doesn't have to be a you know a deeply profound uh, philosophical quote of the day. It's it's just what what is the reason you do the things you do, mm. and and what are you grateful about it? And and nurturing the human spirit. How, how inspire for someone like me? How inspiring is that? Mm. And then obviously, when there's abundance and resources available to do that, it just opens up the possibility to do it at a deeper and deeper level. Yeah. yeah, those levels are somewhat limitless. Absolutely. And I think that's where we, we get confused over this journey destination point. Mm-hmm. So going back to this point, there was a divergence for both of us. There was a, a fear-based response in the sense, a fear of staying in the same space we weren't happy in. For me, it was working for someone else. For you, it was the, the academic pursuit of getting your PhD and still it not being enough. <laughs> uh, and that, that in the meantime, your real um, journey, your purpose and your mission aligned, which was is helping people, like truly yeah. helping people, was getting postponed yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking about this, going back to the first point about imposter syndrome. You know, you find yourself in these new shoes. And it's important to recognize that once you've stepped into these new shoes, that be humbled by the shoes you're stepping into. Yeah. Don't assume that you need to know everything. Correct. And I think sometimes when you're in the workplace specifically and you take that, you know, you apply for that job in the managerial role or a senior leadership role and you decide you're stepping into these new shoes, there's, a, there's an expectation there that you must know everything. Mm. It's a myth, isn't right? it? And so then you become the dictator and not the the um, enabler of your team. And I think that's all because people are saying, they want me to be greater than who I am today. Yeah. And I must know everything. And it's it's this narrative that, again, is not true, that you've created. Yeah. And I think, well, how do we get over that? Well, one of the, you've given a number of clues and one of the things you're quite, Powerfully saying, and I agree. Grow into those shoes, yeah. You don't don't mm. arrive f- fully formed and fully moulded. You grow into it. You grow into that identity. There's always the next version of identity available to you. And, and the other one, Paul, I think, and, and it might be a nice um, heart-centered way to finish this this podcast conversation. 
every day keep grounding and nurturing the depth of who you are. And that's got nothing to do with your qualifications, nothing to do with your position descriptions, nothing to do with the um, resources and or assets or whatever privileges of life you might have accumulated. It's got to do with that inner knowing. And, and uh, you, you and I have used this, this phrasing before and, and I still do it very consistently on myself. Whenever, whenever I'm feeling a little bit scared and vulnerable, I come back to this simple statement internal an internal statement i am valuable i am lovable i am worthwhile and i am already enough and that statement when a person's truly doing um, honest genuine internal work on being the best version of themselves at, at 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 every level of humanity that is a truthful statement mm. that that person is already valuable already worthwhile, already lovable, already enough. And from that inner knowing, magnificent growth will occur. Mm. And my encouragement always is stay on your path, my wise friend. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think too, in, in those, as human beings, we are, we need to be collaborators. Yeah. We need to, to collaborate with people around us. And often people have walked in those shoes before us and it takes nothing to reach out to those people. Yes. To connect with these people. Yes. To, to, to say to people, here are the limits of my knowledge. I don't know this. Can you help me? Correct. And in a sense, that's one of our motivations in doing this podcast, yeah? Mm. For your consideration, hopefully interesting food for thought. Please use it at whatever level it's useful for you and happily discard anything that's not useful and doesn't resonate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in those moments where you need you, you are in your own corner. Correct. And you can't look at the people around you and expect them to be there, to battle all those battles with you. They might be there to celebrate with you. We're, we're right back to topic one. Yeah. Podcast one, no one is coming to rescue you. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, my friend. Yeah. Another great conversation. <laughs> Looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Hey, from Peter and myself, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you found it helpful, please consider subscribing and sharing amongst colleagues and friends. For further information on the topics discussed, check the show notes. And with that, we'll see you next episode. Have a great day and remember, shift happens when we shift on purpose.